Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. You're listening to the Curiously Specific Book Club, the podcast that's curiously specific about dates and locations in well-known books, presented by me, Lloyd Shepherd, and you, Tim Wright. I'm Tim Wright. Hello. This is part two of our exploration of Jack's Return Home, or as many listeners will know it, Get Carter, mm. the book. The not book, the film. Not the film. And the book and is by a chap called Ted Lewis. Ted Lewis. Interesting writer. Interesting writer. Interesting find. chap. And we, we've already wandered around Scunthorpe quite a lot because this book is based in Scunthorpe and yeah. not in Newcastle as in the film. So, yeah, so we'd spent a lot of time in Scunthorpe. We went to... Too um, much time, would you say? Uh, <laughs> how much time is too much time in Scunthorpe? <laughs> we've been very rude about Scunthorpe. But to be fair, the people we met from Scunthorpe were also very rude about it. So, so yeah, so in part two, we're going to go a little bit further afield. Uh, we're going to move out the centre of town. Yes, because we have to follow... We, we, a, we're going to try and find where Frank... His his brother dies in a car accident. He does. But it's not on, an on accident. On the top road. And we wanted to find where that was. Where the top road is. Uh, and then that leads w- us out towards the denouement, because once... Um, Jack Carter has realised who who killed his brother. Spoiler alert. Yeah. <laughs> he um, he hatches a plan to get hold of that guy who's hiding out in the Humber a, uh, 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 in a brickworks in a brickworks by the Humber by the Humber, which is about ten miles north of. Scotland. So we had to go and try and find a brickworks. We also had to go and try and find where the one of the villains of the piece, Kinnear. As played by John Osborne in the film, rather oh, yes. memorably, uh, Kinnear, who lives, uh, who's got a, a place called a, a got a casino up at the sort of behind the town in the posh part of town, very it's swanky seventies house in a swanky seventies house. It's called Back Hill in the book, yeah. um, but we uh, we went up there. But before we do all that, we wanted to go and visit the steelworks. So uh, Scunthorpe was a steelworks town. We'll come on to how that happened. Dominated by it, uh, there is still a steelworks there. It's much smaller than it uh, than it was in the in the sixties and seventies. It's still very big, but it's much, much smaller. Uh, and we had a bit of a drive through it. So we're just entering. There's an old set of red steel gates. Of course, everything's made of steel here. Red steel gates uh, that are open. And then right in front so of us. Wow. Oh, my God. Wow, Look yeah. at that. A... So we've got the steel works laid out in front of us um, rather magnificently. Stunning, isn't it? Uh, everywhere you look, stunning. there's another piece of massive industrial architecture. Uh, it's just, I mean, it's just huge. It's breathtaking, really. Yeah. And there's various kind of slag heaps that have all been sort of grassed over. 
Lorries flying around, tankers. Lorries flying around. Um, and this is called Doors Lane we're driving on. Yeah, which says it's got lots of signs on it saying this is a private road on authorised vehicles only, but there's no gates or anything on it. So uh, if you want to come and have a look yourself, you can do so. Yeah, you can just pull over and uh, take some photos. There's a cycle lane, helpfully. There right? is a cycle lane. At one part of it, anyway. This old slag heap is being used to dump stuff into it. Yeah. There's a lorry down there dumping slag dumping into it. Dumping more slag. We're looking really for somewhere where there's molten slag, aren't we? Because that's where Albert meets his end. So that must be quite near the blast furnace, right? If it's molten you'd slag. You'd think so, so it'd be further in. Well, there's a coke oven here. That's a coke oven. So that's more likely they might be coming out of the coke oven, do you think? Yeah. Doors Lane coke ovens. And he, he follows a sort of the um, little transporter train line yeah down a ridge and then foot and then gets dumped in the molten stuff by Carter it's got to be down here isn't it somewhere around here well they've got to be quite close they're all foot aren't they though so he's run out the back of his house isn't yeah he? so it can't be that far and he's not he's not a fit man Albert no he's not no he's, he's past it yeah the plate mill heavy section mill Millfield way bridge lots of gates there yeah here's the doors lane here's the doors lane footpath yeah They've got a massive sign, and all it is is a path down the side of the roads. Is that a church up there? Is that Scunthorpe Church? Yes, that's the high street. That's yeah. the beginning of the high street. So this is actually the, this this is is in line, with, of the, in high line with the high street. Yeah, so that feels right, doesn't it? Yeah. And then you can see the flats, at Cros the Crosby Flats, Yes. which, so he, which he drives towards um, after, he's, after he's getting away. Yes, because we think that's where Glenda lives. But Glenda's got her flat. Ironstone. Ironstone, originally. So, basically, it was discovered there in the... Well, it's funny, no, in the book he says, oh, 30 years ago they discovered the, the, yeah. the stone. Yeah. Um, well, no, it, they discovered it from the 1850s onwards, that, that, that there's an enormously rich seam of ironstone there from yeah. which you could smelt and make iron and steel. Yeah. And now, originally, they didn't actually make steel in Scunthorpe. They just mined iron. It was a mining town for many years. And and most of it was carted off to Wales to be smelted. Your other, you know, when you're not at Manchester, you're from Wales, yeah, right? That's right. Yeah. I'm a man of many, many, uh, <laughs> well, many that's, backgrounds. Well, that's good. That's that's what that's, being British is. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. And it wasn't until the sort of 1920s, 1930s that they decided that actually the people, the people who owned places in in Wales, decided, oh well, we should just build a place in yeah. where the mine is. Yeah. And there were three companies. There was the Appleby Frodingham Steel Company, the Redbourne Ironworks, and Lysets, the Normanby Ironworks. So there were three. There were three factories there. I mean, three smelters there. Yeah. And so it became a kind of boom town once they were built in the 1930s. Basically, Scunthorpe was a tiny little village, mm. really tiny. Mm. Uh, and then it amalgamated with its surrounding villages because loads of people, actually quite a lot of miners from Yorkshire. 
uh, came to came to Scunthorpe for a better standard of living and a better type of work yeah. in the steelworks. There's a very good. I mean, we both watched a very good 1960 documentary about Scunthorpe. Yeah, I think it was like late 1950s, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah is... about the idea that no no one's from round here. There's a very funny bit in it, not funny but dark bit in it, that where the, one of the managers of Steelworks says, "Well, the problem with this town now is." There's um, there's no local feeling or culture because, you know, we paid all the people here enough money for them to have cars. And at the weekend, they drive off back to where they originally came from. And nobody <laughs> hangs around here there's and no creates a community, community spirit. Yeah. I can't believe it. But, it was, but, I mean, what I took from it was, first of all, how quickly that it happened, the boom. And presumably the Second World War was a big part of that as yes, well. Yes, that's know, right. Armaments and munitions. Yep. But then the other thing was, is the growth had been so... In, what they were talking about were the problems of managing growth. They were talking about, you know, that it had grown so quickly. They were building problems. a new school every year. year for about 10 years. Yeah, it's amazing. In Scunthorpe. Fast and forward. then fast forward. fast forward. So obviously they, they were then nationalised in 67. Mm. So in 67, all three works became part of British Steel Corporation. And um, it became more and more uneconomic. And... Um, Two of those three sites, the uh, the Lysitz one and the Redbourne one, were shut down in the early 80s. So there's only one site left. So the thing that's there which now... Which is the original Apple... That's the Applebee Froddingham one. The thing that's there now, are we saying, is a th- only a third of the size of the original. That's right. And it's 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 big in terms of the, the land it covers. Oh, it's huge. It's huge. Absolutely but huge. But if you imagine I would three say times that still, bigger. Yeah, it's, it's sort of, yeah, it's probably three times bigger. Than, it was three times bigger and th- therefore, you know, three times bigger than the town. No, amazing. Right? Mm. Absolutely massive. Um, so devastating when it shut down. And obviously since then, it's been through a series of sort of takeovers part of Chorus, that it was part of Tata Steel, yeah. uh, is now owned by the Chinese, by yeah. a Chinese company. And they have a Chinese uh, chief executive who comes and gives talks to the workers. I imagine that's a meeting of minds, don't you? Wow. So the other thing that happened in the 60s was they, they smashed up the old market square and the old housing and put in brand spanking new stuff. So oh. they had two major shopping centres, the Foundry Shopping Centre and the Paris, all, both, both crumped over the old town. Um, and then we saw, of course, the Crosby Flats, the, the three tower blocks of flats. Went up at the end of the 50s. It went up at the end of the 50s. That was, but they, that cleared another part of the village. So yeah. they absolutely smashed up the place. So there's lots of opportunity for development and corruption in that town. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the Baths Hall, you mentioned the Baths, yeah. that uh, Ted Lewis liked to go to jazz concerts there. That's a very interesting place. So it, obviously in the, in the summer, it was a swimming pool. And then in the... In the, there's a very good article, I'll, I'll, I'll put the link in our, our show notes, with photographs that come every October, roughly when this, this takes set, place, yeah. they drained out the thousands of gallons of water out of the place and put up uh, uh, a structure, foundation, wooden foundations for a dance floor for the winter. So the only time he could have gone and seen jazz is in the winter. Well, maybe that's why he sets it in October. Yeah, well, that's, a, that's how how he thinks of Scunthorpe. And then in spring, they take it all down, fill up the pool again, and that happened until the 1980s. Uh, I want to talk about um, some of the famous people from Scunthorpe because I think it's kind of interesting. Well, you mentioned Tony Jacklin. Well, Tony Jacklin is a really interesting case in point, actually. Yeah. Um, so I looked him up. So he's 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 a little bit younger uh, than Ted Lewis. Hmm. Yeah. So he was his dad was a steel worker, worked at the steelworks. I think he may have been a lorry driver actually. But anyway. He had a lot of tension at home. He was playing golf all the time, obviously naturally gifted, mm. um, but was apprenticed to go to the steelworks. 
And he left. He was invited to go and be an assistant pro uh, down in Potter's Bar. Okay. And uh, he writes in his memoir a very uh, loving and touching piece about the house, the woman who whose house he in the B and B he stayed in, who said he, he she was a proper mother to him, and uh, and he uh, when he got married, he brought his wife to meet her, not his mum. Well. Wow. And that he objected to the fact that she was not invited to the to his "This Is Your Life" show, because um, his parents had uh, organised who should come to his "This Is Your Life," and he deeply resented it and said, "I don't." I, I don't. and talks rather bitterly about how how he came from an unloving household and he, you know, and he didn't get that, on with his that's parents. That's very that very Ted Lewis like, yeah. I would say. Yeah. So Tony Jacklin's quite an interesting. Yeah. The other talented sportsman from Scunthorpe, Ian Botham. No, he did play for Scunthorpe United, that's correct. Is he not from Scunthorpe, then? No, he's not, no. no. But he did play for Scunthorpe United, as did Kevin Keegan. Yeah. But the person who actually was born in Scunthorpe, but then went on to play for Grimsby Town. Right. Graham Taylor. <laughs> Do <laughs> I not like that? Graham Taylor's from Scunthorpe? Yes. Wow. Yes. Former England manager? Former England manager. So, And I have discovered that, of course, on um, a candidate date I'm going to give you later, on Boxing Day 1964... Yeah. Graham Taylor was playing at Scunthorpe United for Grimsby in the local derby. Wow. In 1964. So if Ted Lewis did go to the footy, he would have seen Graham Taylor playing for Grimsby. Okay. So I like the idea, so this is my idea, that the two, the two local heavies who come round to, to, to sort of see him at the bed and breakfast, that could be Graham Taylor and Tony Jacklin. <laughs> All I wanted to do was be a professional... There was no money uh, to, to do that. It meant leaving home and going to London because no clubs in, Eng in Lincolnshire ha uh, could afford assistant professionals. And my dad wasn't up for that because there was too much risk. I went into the steelworks like most of the young lads in Scunthorpe did and spent a year there, which I hated, and secretly wrote off for jobs. And I got an interview at uh, Potter's Bar in North London and I pleaded with my father to take me and I said, if you, you don't like what you hear, then we'll come, come back. But of course, Bill Shankland, who was a, a great salesman, uh, convinced my father that uh, six pounds a week working for him was better than three pounds, 11 and threepence at uh, the steelworks. At the top of the hill, where the high street officially became City Road, Eric turned left. Here, the road rose again and wound upwards through the landscaped suburb that belonged to the town's wealthy. There were soft lawns and discreet trees and refined bushes and modern Georgian houses. He turned left again into a narrower road disappearing between banks of foliage. A sign at the turn-off said, The Casino. I drove past the entrance to give him time, then I turned and drove back and turned right. There was just enough room for two cars to get by one another. Then the trees stopped. There was a gravel car park and a lot of cars. Beyond the car park was the casino. It looked like the alternative plan to the new version of Euston Station. White, low and ugly. A lot of glass. A single piece of second story that was a penthouse. A lot of sodium lighting. Plenty of phony ranch house brickwork. Probably the worst beer for 70 miles. <laughs> It's good, isn't it? Yeah. So we are sitting uh, in Central Park, not we that one, uh, in Scunthorpe. Uh, behind us we have Brumby Wood. 
Bromby Wood. Now, there's various places called Bromby up here. Obviously, there's a character in uh, Get Cards called Cliff Bromby. It's good, isn't it? There's a Cliff yeah. Drive nearby. There's a Cliff well. Drive in Bromby. <laughs> and Bromby Woods. Yeah. Cliff so Drive, Bromby There's Bromby Woods. Hall. There's Bromby Woods. That's where he's getting uh, his names from. He's just looking at street names. We're a little bit puzzled. When he talks about Eric turning left and then turning left again, mm. we, we think we know what road he's turning left into the first time, but you can't really turn... And that's Brumby Hall Road. Uh, yes, right. Yeah. yeah. You can't really turn left again off Brumby Hall Road because it runs Brumby along Hall the railway. Lane. It's li- literally one block of houses. Whereas on the other side... Is, is Brumby Wood. Is Brumby Wood, and also there's, there's two... There's, there's Woodlands Close and another close, Brumby Hall. Place. And there's a sports centre as well. That's so there's three out. little dr- drives, exactly roads that go through the trees into a set of buildings. I'm still thinking that that Woodlands Close is good. Woodlands Close off Brumby Hall Road. Yeah, would be where I would want to find a casino. I, I'm quite struck. We've been wandering around the high street and the yeah. grottier parts of it, Which thinking this is Scunthorpe. And we both, as Which we drove out, said scuzzy. we won't be coming back. No. Unlike Whitby... Yeah. Uh, we won't be coming back. Yeah. Um, but then we drive up here to Central Park on the top of the hill, and there's some quite nice houses here. The park's very the well park's kept, very well, very groomed. well looked after. But yeah. yeah, the housing up here is so much richer. It looks like the British Steel executives would be everything about be it. For the minute there, you right? come onto the the hills, the the road starts rising up from the from Scunthorpe Central, as it were. Yeah. And also, you know, as we pointed out, the other side of the railway tracks. So the south side of the railway tracks, it's yeah. like a completely different place. So it's a stark, stark difference down to between the of down the hill and up the hill. It really is. And I guess that's what Ted Lewis is alluding to. Yeah, here. so presumably it's always been like that. Is that that's, there's two sides to the town, the, other the thing uphill he says, and the downhill. The other thing he says about up here is coming up here as a child, right? Yes. Do you want to read that bit? Good, good segue. I remember this place when it was called Back Hill. So it's not called that now, mm-hmm. even in 1968, 1970, whatever it is. Back Hill. The woods used to seem to stretch up to the sky, except for the patches of red-brown earth that showed through here and there. You could see the hill from the end of Jackson Street, and although the hill was a natural place for kids to play, there were never very many kids up there. We used to go up there on a Saturday morning and it seemed as though we'd wander for bloody miles. And then he says that they would find a plateau covered in grass that whipped about in the wind. And you'd look down over the tops of the trees and you'd see the town lying there just as though it had been chucked down in handfuls. The ring of steelworks, the walls ten miles away to the right, rising up from the river plain. The river itself eight miles away, dead ahead, a gleaming broadness and more walls, even higher, receding beyond it. So a couple of things about that. Mm-hmm. The first thing is you can't actually see anything from up here because it is surrounded by very leafy trees. Yes. So even though we're high up, you can't see the town and you can't see the walls. Yeah. I suppose in the winter, it's set in October. There wouldn't be so many leaves. You about. might be able to see more. Maybe. I um, still don't think you'd get that vista. I don't think you get the vista. Uninterrupted vista. Too many houses. But he does say he can see the town in front of him and the walls to his right. That makes sense. So he's in the right place because yeah, yeah, yeah. the walls are to the east of here. Yeah. So that would mean he'd be standing south of the town, which is where, we're, where we are. It's the right place. Yeah. The final thing I wanted to say was the river reference. Interesting. Because the river he's obviously talking about there is the Humber because that is about eight miles to the north. It is. But the Trent 
is about a mile and a half to the west, and you can see it. Yes. So it's much smaller here than than the Humber, but um, yes, it's, it's, it, he's very because the, obviously the river was where he lived. Ted Lewis lived. Yes. He lived in Barton upon Humber. So. Yes. Um. Just a technical point. Yeah. That was all quite technical there, wasn't it? Well, I'm just saying that I'm not sure the Humber is a river. I wanted to ask you about that because we've had that com- we had that conversation driving back from uh, Women in Black. <laughs> yeah. And you said the Humber's not a river, and it slightly blew my mind. I went, well, "What is it then?" He well, said, because it's, just it's an the confluence of the Trent and the Ouse into the Humber estuary. Okay, so there's no the river rivers, Humber. It's where two rivers meet. There's no river. You can't follow the river Humber. No, there's no river. So, uh, Gerald and Les, he talks about Gerald and Les, the two people that Jack works for the in brothers London. Uh, who he works for. He says they were in the property business, investment, speculation, that kind of thing, you know. Uh, I think they are in the property business, but actually I think they're in the porn business. All, every, all crime's going up in London in, in the 60s. It's, it's exploding, yeah. fueled by a lot of post-war guns in circulation, consumer society, and crucially, very corrupt police. Ah. Um, now, the two best-known gangs, everyone talks about them today, the Crays and the Richardsons. Yes. The Crays uh, started in the East End, Bethnal Green, moved into the West, including so in the 60s. The Richardson were based in South London, Aunt Manor, Charlie and Eddie Richardson. Charlie Richardson, I've read up, it sounds They're like really, a terrifying yeah. person. Uh, now, the Crays, mo- their, their thing was extortion and protection, right? It wasn't porn. Mm. Uh, so intimidation, and they also ran clubs. Uh, while the Richardsons had a lot of stuff, long-term, long-firm frauds, don't quite know where they are, scams, fruit machines, interestingly, because oh, that's a big part that's of Cliff, the book. Cliff Brumby's into fruit machines, Extortion. isn't he, in the They book. even had mining interests in South Africa, the Richardsons. You know, they were all over the place. But I think the real centre of this is Soho. Okay. I want to talk about some of the characters in Soho. A chap called Bernie Silver, a Jewish guy born in Stoke Newington, uh, served in the Parachute Regiment. Uh, in the 40s, got working for a Maltese gang, the Messinas, um, who ran Soho in the for- in the forties and fifties. He married a Messina prostitute, Albertine French Betty Folzon. Uh, Silver controlled a whole bunch of clubs in the East End around Brick Lane in the fifties. Now his thing was it renting out rooms to prostitutes at vastly inflated rents. Um, now the the key thing is the real money was in bookshops. It wasn't in prostitution and it wasn't in strip joints because if you were, if you had a dirty bookshop, mm. you could basically uh, hide behind several layers of property ownership and the front the, because of the uh, way the, lo- the laws were really badly framed. Right, uh, the police could only arrest the front man. Now this is where another chap appears, Jimmy Humphreys. Okay, appears. he was uh, from South London, Bermondsey. He took a lease on premises in Old Compton Street and then opened the Queen's Club on Walker's Court. Now, anyone who knows London, Walker's Court is the where the Raymond Review Bar used to oh, be. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That little pedestrianised bit yeah, at the yeah. end of Berwick Street. Made a ton of money. Now, the point is, the police were completely involved in all of this. There's an extraordinary story where Humphreys and Silver are negotiating with the police to open a new porn bookshop that they would jointly own. And they're basically negotiating with the commander of the vice and uh, squad, a chap called, um, what's his name? Make sure I get the names right. Um, well, you've got marker pen highlighted stuff yeah, in the book Yeah, a chap there. called Wally Virgo, Commander Wally Virgo. Um, and then there's this chap that quite a lot of people have heard of, uh, Dirty Bill Moody. 
That, is that what he called himself? No, well, he was head of the Obscene Publication oh, Squad, a.k.a. the Dirty Squad. What book is this you're looking this at? This is The Fall of Scotland Yard that came out. In, it's an absolute eye-opener. It came out in the 70s. So these characters are all in the mix. I think these are all, you know, all, all, all this kind of stuff. In the background. In the background. Now, the, 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 the last person I want to talk about is a chap called Michael Klinger, who was born in Soho. He's mm-hmm. Jewish, son of a Polish tailor, very smart guy, uh, worked on the street markets. And he built, bought an old bohemian club from the 20s called the Gargoyle. Um, and bor- borrowed the money from someone called Billy Belitho, brilliantly. They bought these names. And they opened the Nell Gwynn Review strip joint in October 1957. And they all opened the Compton Cinema Club in October 1960, a members-only film theatre which screened a mix of European sex films. Ah. Oh and films banned by the British Board of Film Censors. Right, so uh, uh, we should say that in Get Carter, the the, the thing that really set, starts yep. the ball rolling about Frank's death and stuff yep. is the making of a dirty movie, a dirty movie. involving his daughter. Yeah, uh, and then they started making their own films. That Kind of Girl, um, Naked as Nature Intended, The Pleasure Girls, uh, and then they went on to make uh, Confessions of a Window Cleaner and Confessions of a Pop Performer oh, later in the hello. 70s. Hello. So they're involved in that. He always wanted to kind of get involved in sort of genuine films, Michael Klinger. And so he actually got Roman Polanski's first English language films. Uh oh. Repulsion Uh-oh. and uh, Cul de Sac. So that's 65 and 66. Yes. And then Polanski, um, eh? in November 69, uh, he acquired the rights to Get Carter. Oh. And he gave £10,000 to buy the rights to get Carter, and he was the producer of the film. How interesting. So that's nice. that's how all that joins together. I like that. So he was the one who sent the film to Mike, Mike Hodges, sent the script, the novel to Mike Hodges. So what, what, what do you think Ted Lewis makes of that, that a guy who's made his money out of dirty movies is now I think now he probably funding. quite liked it, didn't he? Probably thought that was all very circular, was it? So I'm thinking Gerald wow. and Les are Bernie Silver and Jimmy Humphreys from the fifties. No, from the sixties. Right? No, okay. no, they were Silver's very much uh, Humphreys is very much the sixties. But then I just think the fact that Michael Klinger is a producer on the film—that's brilliant—is just you know ties it all together rather nicely. So yeah, I quite good. like the idea that Lewis is living out in Essex with his with his wife and new daughter commuting into town to work on Yellow Submarine and uh, other bits and pieces. Wow. It was TVC, the big animation company, in Soho, yes. presumably drinking and going to quite a lot of dodgy joints, yes, meeting, meeting people. people. Yeah. And then you know, Michael Klinger ends up to me that he would be supervising the invention of the Blue Meanies, therefore, would it? He wasn't supervising. Well, he was, yes, he was supervising. Blue the- Meanies, dre- uh, they're dressed in blue with helmets on, who don't like music. Uh, they're basically the police. They're basically they? the police. But they're also the the chief one, the chief meanie. He's a paranoid schizophrenic, a bit like uh, 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 Ronnie Cray. <laughs> Doesn't like to be looked at. <laughs> so I think if you put Ronnie Cray and and uh, and the, someone from the Met Police and smush them together in a psychedelic fever dream, you get a blue you'd meanies. get a blue meanie. Yeah. basically. Yeah. So he's working on the blue meanies during the day, going to strip joints at the night, yeah. and then doing get cut when he gets home. Yeah, and then if he's it into all the, hangs together. Yeah, and then obviously the, the pills he was taking were called blue meanies as well, I imagine. <laughs> so it's, it's all, it all all ties in rather well. Ten days after her arrival in London, Claire was on the game. It wasn't yet illegal for prostitutes to solicit on the streets. They would take their clients to a nearby flat. The flat was situated um, on the corner of Frith Street and uh, Old Compton Street. 
in fact number 22. Mm. I think possibly the amount that I made on the first day was about £8. And um, when I did, in fact, pass it to him, he um, took a pound note and folded it, you know, into pleats, you see, and took his lighter and lit the end of the money uh, to light his cigar and uh, used the words, you know, like chicken feed. And I was broken-hearted, you see, because uh, you must understand that my father at that time was probably only earning maybe eight to ten pounds a week. It was a lot of money to me, you know. I walked across the road. Just beyond the grass verge was a hedge. And behind the hedge, hugging it, was an old rotten fence. There were tyre marks in the ground on the verge, and there was a hole in the hedge. And behind it, I could only see a few splinters belonging to the fence. I went down and stood in the hole in the hedge and looked down. It was more of an incline than a drop. It stretched down for about 150 feet until it came to the water that filled the bottom of the disused sandstone quarry. You found us a quarry. I found us a disused sandstone quarry just off the A1077 out of Scunthorpe. Is that the Winterton Road? The Winterton Road. They call it the top road in the book. Yes, they do. It's good in all sorts of ways. It's a, it's a tar old tartar steel quarry. It's now very overgrown. It kind of works in all sorts of ways. The only problem, that thing, the reason it doesn't work is that he says... It's on the right-hand side of the road as he pulls he's coming over out of Scunthorpe. his car to the left and then and he, he goes, goes over, over to the, the right. right. Now, there's nothing nah. on the right-hand side nah. of this road. There's a railway line. All the quarries are on the left-hand side. They are. Um, they so are. We're, a bit, we're a bit flummoxed by that. We've, we found another quarry over the other side of Dragonby that was quite good again. But again, that was on the wrong side of the road. Well, the, the, I think he'd be, yeah, he'd be driving up the Normanby Road rather than the Winston Road yeah. and still be on the wrong side of the road. Yeah, absolutely. So... Um, we, 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 we like the vibe, and it's very, it's very nice out here. It's just near, you can probably just hear the traffic on the road. But you just have to ignore the private keep-out signs. There are some private keep-out signs, but they're a little bit... But we've learned to ignore those. They're a bit half-assed, aren't we? they? They're a bit half-assed. <laughs> There's a bit of fly-tipping going on down here. Yeah. Um, but it's, very, it's actually very lovely. But I can see why they do want to keep people out, because you could accidentally fall down there and presumably do some self-serious damage. But... Um, Yes, and then it's they a quarry. Them. When we were kids, they had little adverts about how to not go down the quarry they and drown. That I am the god of dark water. Was that the uh, short? The, remember that was there one was of those safety films. Ad with a guy Donald Pleasant. Like death as well. Donald Pleasant was who the voice. Around while you I am the god of dark water. That's right. I will pull you down. Yeah. Yeah. It was very grim. I know. Yeah. Don't, why don't they do ads for children like that anymore? Because <laughs> oh, the, the little snowflakes will just melt. They just don't drown in quarries anymore, do they? Yeah. Uh, this is where basically where Frank, Frank, Jack's brother, they fill him up with whiskey at Albert's house, and then they drive him up here, and then they take the handbrake off and push his car, in, and it looks like a drunk driving accident. Yeah. You but could do that he here. You could do that here, but you'd be doing it on the left hand side of the road. You'd be doing it the wrong way. Yeah. yeah. Can't help feeling that Ted Lewis was coming from Barton down to Scunthorpe and got his left and right wrong, and just yeah. This is the road you would take back up to Barton. Exactly. So he's yeah. he's looking out this side. 
and he's looking across the road yeah. and he's going, well, across the road, there's a thing. And then yeah. when he sits down to ride, he goes, so I crossed the road. Yeah, but you wouldn't have done it. But you, you wouldn't, have, or you go the other way. Yeah. And he's probably done that in his notepad after he's been to the pub. Well, as we saw, W.G. Sabalt does it in the Rings of Saturn. He gets his platforms wrong. Oh, he's, he's left. So even, even the great writers true. Can, uh, true can lose their grip on their left and right. I think the main thing is that Seabald's continental, so obviously he gets his left and right mixed oh, Of course, up. of course. I am the spirit of dark and lonely water, ready to trap the unwary, the show-off, the fool. And this is the kind of place you'd expect to find me. But no one expects to find me here. It seems too ordinary. But that pool is deep. The boy is showing off. The bank is slippery. Uh, I wondered if I'd have time to get some fags from the buffet at Doncaster before my connection left, if it was open at 5 to 5 on a Thursday afternoon in mid-October. Right, so he Brilliant. You see, that's the kind of thing we that's like kind of from a writer. Like. Uh, later on, so Carter's talking to Glenda. She was a long-haired blonde, more thin than fat, with a face that 10 years ago would have got her somewhere in the modelling business. I mean the advertising one or maybe a film part opposite Norman Wisdom. Sure. But even if those things had still been open to her in 1970, she had today's look that told me she wouldn't have bothered. So he's now he said it's a Thursday and mid-October in, in 1970. 1970. Yeah. No, it isn't. No, I would agree. He says it's a Thursday. On page 17, someone's watching Coronation Street. Coronation Ooh. Street was Monday and Wednesday. I went downstairs and switched on the wireless. While Family Choice warmed up, I went into the kitchen. This is Jack Carter, right? Mm. Family Choice started in 1967. It was cancelled in September 1969. Ooh. His interest in television and radio and what's going on is absolutely zilch, yeah. isn't it? In terms so if, of if it is October... I, well, the, the last thing I wanted to say is Doreen's pictures of pop groups in yes, her room. Yes, I got this. She's got the Beatles, Moody Blues, the Tremolos, Dave D, Dozy, Beaky, Mick and Titch. Mm. Well, the Beatles um, had formally split up by April 1970. That's when Paul McCartney sent his yep. legal law, lawyer's letter dissolving it. Mm -hmm. um, the Tremolos and Dave D, Dozy and Beaky, Mick and Titch, they're very 60s bands. They're not really 70s Well, Dave bands. D lay, left in 69. Yeah, they're so. not even... They're, I mean, they, they're, just, they're just Dozy, Mick and Titch at that yeah. point, aren't they? <laughs> so, so Moody Blues arguably could be going on. So, Well, uh, but hold on. Does a 15-year-old girl okay. have a poster of the Moody Blues up in 1970? Well, with a picture of when In gone, Search of the Lost Corn or something. Prog. Yeah. I, mean, I, I don't know. think She's so. She's the mid-60s movie. <laughs> really not, yeah. right? So I, uh, given all that, I actually think the most likely date is uh, October 68. Do you now? Yeah, so that's what, what I'm going for. October 68. Yeah. Houston's okay. opening. Family Choice is still going. Dave D hasn't left them. Dave D doesn't make a ditch. The Moody Blues have only just gone prog, and yeah. the Beatles are still together. Okay. I like it. I've got some. I've got some things to add to that. Yeah. As you, uh, you, would, as, you won't be surprised. I would imagine. I've got my. I've got my simple stuff out on the table. No, that's now. very good. You went quick. You went there. You <laughs> laid down your cards. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> well done. Yeah. Now let's get real. <laughs> okay. um, what's nice about this book is that it is set in. It just. It just has um, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Those are the chapter headings, yeah. basically yeah, the yeah. section headings for it. The first thing he does when he gets off the train, he goes down to the George. Yeah. Now, from the description of the taxi drive down into the town to the George, the George is very clearly what used to be called the Blue Bell mm. Hotel. Yep. Um, now, that was demolished 
It was closed in 1968 and demolished on July the 10th, 1970. So by October 1970, it's not there. Yeah. The new shopping centre is there. Yeah. So he hasn't noticed that. He doesn't mention the new shopping centre. Well, I think Ted Lewis is. He's another of these writers who, who's like a bit like James Herbert, a bit like you know. A he's bit, talking about Scunthorpe of the late fifties and early sixties. Yeah, right. Yeah. He's he hasn't he gone back. To he jazz hasn't gigs. gone back to check no. what's <laughs> happened to the place. Oh well, one more point on that. One reason why he hasn't gone back to check is he keeps getting the wrong train. Because he says he gets the train from Euston. Oh, trains, good. He says he gets the train from Euston to Doncaster. You yeah. can't get the train from Euston to Doncaster. It goes from King's Cross. No. <laughs> so no wonder he's not gone back. He's forgotten how to get to Scunthorpe. Him. But the most important thing, I think, is the football reference. Now, on the Saturday, one of the ways that Carter evades arrest is he, he zooms out of Albert's house in yeah. the car. Uh, races into town. Races into town down the back streets. And uh, dumps the car, gets out, and then uh, melts into the crowd coming out of the football match on a Saturday. So that tells you that it's a Saturday when Scunthorpe United were playing at home. Yeah. Okay. Now, the other thing is there's a moment in the pub when he meets Con in the Cecil, and Con says to him, who do you think's going to win today, Spurs or Arsenal? Yeah. So that implies that Spurs and Arsenal are playing a fixture... Now, I've found a website that lists every historic Arsenal-Spurs game. <laughs> and I've found another site that cites every Scunthorpe result since 1900. You've got to love the With internet. a date, right? Yeah. Uh, so we can cross-match those. How long did this take you? Not that long. <laughs> <laughs> Longer than you'd want to do, Jake. I know that's for sure. <laughs> but, you know... Some of us have got a bit of stamina for this stuff. (laughs) Mid-October, when did did Scunthorpe play at home and Arsenal and Tottenham play together? There is one moment in time when that actually happened. Amazingly. Mm. I'm really astonished that it is. But on October the 10th, 1964... 64? Yeah, on October the 10th, 1964, which is a Saturday, okay... They played Peterborough. And also Spurs played Arsenal and beat Arsenal 3-1 on the same day. October the 10th, 1964. It's definitely not 1970. No. Um, but uh, I don't think it's 1964 either. I'm, well, all I'm saying is that the football fixture thing, it, it tells me that what you were saying, that he came to Scunthorpe to just uh, listen to jazz rather than go to the football. Yeah. That tells me yeah, that yeah. The, the football fixture thing is... Yeah. He hasn't really thought that through, that that if you're going to say that Scunthorpe are playing at home on a Saturday, someone's going to check that out, aren't they? Me. <laughs> someone's going well, to check know. that out. I don't know. I don't know whether he thinks that or not. <laughs> it's a spectator sport, and people come to be entertained. They come to be excited. They come to... Ooh, and a, uh, now, where does that action take place? That action, to make people feel like that, to get people excited, takes place in the respective penalty boxes. Now, that means that you want the ball in the penalty box, particularly in the opposition's penalty box, as often as possible. How we get it there, and this is what probably a lot of people say is wrong with English football anyhow, but to a degree, the English supporter doesn't concern himself over much as long as his team is getting the ball in the, in the penalty box. But it concerns me. Now it was getting lighter by the second and on my right the river was changing from purple to grey, and I could see the opposite bank 
a mile and a half away. The tide was out and the mud rippled with dawn colours and from out in the middle of the river the sound of the light ship travelled quickly over the vast flatness of the river and its banks. I paused at the spot where the bank ran into the brick brickyard. The sound of Eric's running had stopped. I walked forward. The yard was square. On my right the boundary was a long low kiln so old that its top was totally covered with grass. To the left and in front of me two low broken down walls occasionally protruded above the briar and the elderberry. On the left, facing on to the river, were the roofless shells of the tileries, half their original height due to natural decay and the erosion of the local kids. Beyond the tileries, out of sight, were the remains of the landing stage. In the centre of all this were the four main kilns, still solid, and two large vats full of old bricks and rainwater. Frank and me, we used to sit on the edge of the vats and throw bangers in and watch them fizz across the surface of the water. This is great. Bang on. So Hi, we, Phil. We're sitting... Uh, we're in the remains of the landing stage. The, in the remains of a landing stage by the side of the Humber. Yeah. We've got the Humber Bridge to our right. We're looking north over... It is probably about a mile and a half to that other bank. I would think so. And the light ship, the green light ship's directly opposite green us. Green light ship in the river. Tide is out. And there's a tilery just down to our right. Yeah. To the um, east of us. To the east of us. Yeah. I, we I haven't been able to get your four brick kilns, unfortunately. Well, they've clearly been dismantled. Unless we get to the tires and suddenly see them, I think they've probably been dismantled. Yeah. But the, uh, uh, the landing stage is very good, the remains of that. Yeah, and there's plenty of brick around. Brick and concrete. Well, even in the um, shingle on the shoreline here is made up, I would say, of, what, 30% yeah. worn-down brick and tile? We're sitting at a place called Chowder Ness. Yeah, have a little sound of the shingle. If you want to find it, uh, it's on the Ordnance Survey and it's on Google Maps. Well, now, if you've seen the film actually. of Get Carter, ah, yes. you can't not think of the amazing final scene that's on a beach. It's actually on a mining uh, conveyor, isn't it? Yes. At the beach, and that's in Newcastle, just y outside, outside Newcastle. Newcastle. Yeah, that's right. Um, it's an amazing scene, but it is in s the spirit of the book, I would say. The book he takes, he, he follows, he, he finds out where Eric is, is hiding. He's hiding in a house on the on the bank of the Humber. Well, his boss gives him away. He his says, boss gives him away. He says he's, he can't be bothered to look. You know, he might, he's expendable. Yeah, because Eric's a bit Eric's a bit of a loose cannon. Yeah. Uh, so he drives up from Scunthorpe about ten miles, which we've just done. Uh, and up, uh, up that Winston Road where Frank dies. Up the Winston Road where Frank dies, exactly. And uh, he comes here and he chases him down for the climactic scene in the book. This is amazing, isn't it? I mean, uh, it, it, it's very, very stunning. The, the, br the bridge, the bridge looks like it's. I mean, the it's low tide, so the bridge is actually looks like it's on, on sand rather than in the water. I looked up the history of this place, mm -hmm. and um, nearly all the brick kilns had um, uh, shut down by the 1950s. Yeah, quite a few of them, well before then. Yeah. And the, the uh, chalk and cement ones had gone even before the war, quite a few of them. Uh, so this was, a, this was, again, an example a bit like what's happened to steel now. And Scunthorpe, yeah. Yeah, and the, and the loss Industry of the ironstone is that once they ran out of the clay and they could get cheap bricks from abroad, 
or elsewhere. Mm. This this it just died on its ass here. Mm. Completely went went very very quickly. Mm. The only other thing they had here for a while was um, fertilizer manufacture. Which, really? Yeah, they did. They, they did lots of fertilizer manufacture up someone here. Say, someone would say that's what we do. Well, <laughs> you just take my punchlines from me. Oh, you? sorry, man. Sorry. <laughs> you shit. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so this is the, where the end of the book is. Yeah. Um, when he walked, so who finds the bodies? Do you think? Who finds the bodies? Well, at the end of it, the, there are dead people out here. There are dead people out and here. And then Con just walks off, doesn't he? He just gets in the car and goes, "Fuck off! I'm going." Yeah. And that's it. That's the end of the they book. They just leave right? them here. So, who gets to find them here? You're saying they might still be here. Well, I'm. <laughs> Should we go? It's just a thought. Should we go and look? Well, I mean, it's the kind of thing dog walkers do find dead bodies, don't they? Well, it's nearly always a, oh, a dog walker reported something. That would be. Do you amazing. know what I mean? That would be a kick. That, that would be a good amazing. end of a podcast, wouldn't it? If Eric Pace is somewhere lying in the, b- the we bramble. We just found a there. few bones. It would be quite something, wouldn't it? Yeah, I think they would have been found by now, wouldn't they? I would have thought so. I think someone from the Wildlife Trust would have would have done something about There'd it. There'd be a museum or something. Maybe, Maybe they're in the Ted Lewis Museum in Scunthorpe. Eric Pace's bones. <laughs> he'll just be in the pond. He, he'll, he'll, he'll have been swan food by now. I always get Eric Pace up mixed with Ian Pace of Deep Purple. That would be a very different novel, wouldn't it? Would it would be. It would. Well, quite a good one, I find. Yes. Michael Caine chases down and kills Ian Pace from Deep Purple. Yeah, it wouldn't be Michael Caine. Because of it a... It would be Richie Blackmore. <laughs> <laughs> but everybody wants to kill Richie Blackmore. <laughs> That would be one of those Agatha Christie novels. He comes back. Everybody did it. He comes back to a Deep Purple rehearsal and he's absolutely furious with what they've done to some yeah. to, to, the, to, to, to his tunes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he's decided to so hunt he them down. Hunts them all down one by one. That'd be good. Ian Gillan, Ian Pace, John Lord, and Roger Glover. They're all dead in different locations. Yeah. Is there a Mr. Blackmore in the room? Who do you think did it? Well, who's the surviving member? No. Take me back to London. I think I'm going to surprise you here about my my ratings for this book. Okay. I um, should say we're about to do our uh, our Q-spec rating, which is a combination of a artistic merit. Uh, out of 10 and a uh, curiously specific rating about how seriously the author is taking dates and locations yes uh, out of 10 so you're going to surprise me go on well I'll surprise you straight off but we'll revert because we usually start with the artistic thing but I'm just going to go straight in with the, with the dating and location thing okay I'm going to give him a 7 quite high uh, I know that we've we, we've talked about the dates not being very good that he wants to cite this he wants to place this in 1970 but all his cultural references are actually mid 60s or even Sort of between somewhere between sixty four and sixty eight. Yeah, which is not very surprising because that's when he was thinking about the book and when yeah. he was sort of writing it. But when we went there and we followed the instructions, even though the the, the road names have been changed, when we walked around there, I thought it worked extremely well. Right. Um, that we sort of found his family home, we found his digs, we found where Frank probably went off the road, we found where Eric gets killed at the end of the brickworks. We found all these places. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, I get all that. I, I would say we sort of found them. Well, I think we found good candidates for them, but they were all, they were all compromised. I mean, I did read something that he said that, that it was a composite of Scunthorpe, the place it was in his imagination. Sure. Well, every writer says that at the layout. Yeah. Why, uh, why wouldn't they? That's why we're here, to hold them to account. I'm not giving him a seven. No, I knew you. You see, I, I knew I'd, you'd be surprised by that. I think I'd give him a five. I yes. Don't, I you don't see, think... because I, I've given um, uh, Gwendolyn Riley and uh, Barry Hines both fives, and I think I gave James Herbert a four. Yeah. Um, and I have. I've, I know I've been a bit rough on them, but... For this one, I genuinely thought, no, this kind of works about if I just take the book and follow his instructions about where to drive and where to go, yeah. I get to good places. It kind of works. I, I mean, it's a good trip. I mean, we, yeah. we, we saw some interesting stuff and it, 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 it was a good adventure. Yeah. Um, so on that basis, yes. But on the basis of how careful he's being about where all this, how all this stuff hangs together. Yeah. It's a five for me. Okay, good. It's a five good. for me. So, where are you going with artistic merit then? Well, I think it's, um, I think it's a very, very strong book that stands repeated reading, um, and uh, is uh, obviously written in a kind of. He wrote it very quickly. You know, he he he, he found a voice and a tone of voice that was that was that was really potent. I think it's got some, it's got some wobbly bits and some you know it's got some places that, that it seems to go a little bit off the rails a little bit. So I think it's probably an uh, I'd give it an eight. I think quite wow. a high score. Oh, quite high. Yeah. Okay. So we're 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 poles apart here. Okay. Uh, you didn't like it. I'm going to give it a six. Okay. Well, it's not poles apart. No, but it's. I mean, I'm usually, I um I did like it. It, I think it owns a big debt to Mickey Spillane. Have you ever? Uh, yeah, no. Uh, if you, yeah. It's basically someone who's read a lot of Mi- Mi- Mickey Spillane and seen him be very popular doing hard boiled stuff, and then gone for it themselves with a with a with a with a British edge. Yeah, uh, with a lot more. Yes, uh, but so, the British edge was was fairly new. I mean, oh yeah, you know, no, no one I agree. Had written a book quite like that about British crime before, I would say. No, I. I um, so you know, it, I it get was that. original got, in that context. No, it's very, and it's got a lot of energy. And setting it outside London, you know, setting it in this. Yeah, that's quite cool. Uh, you know, provincial town. Yeah. Uh, where you know, uh, and, and and you know the the, the local hoods and yeah. the I love the Brumby and Kinnear figures and the way they're sort of you yeah. know you never see them together but they're both trying to do each other in. And yeah, yeah. It's I, I think it's good. Yeah. So yeah, I, I get it. Um, but and uh, also, you know, I'm I, I'm I'm afraid I'm a little bit woke, in that these books you just had enough of the subject. I'm just. <laughs> can we stop with the misogyny and the violence against doing, women? Should we should we stop it's with just these? Yeah. Appalling. It is appalling. You got you got me rethinking my rating now, but I'm sticking with it. I'm sticking with it. It's okay, a, good. It's a book of its time. Okay, uh, and should be read. So you gave with it, caution. Yeah. So you okay. gave it a seven and a five. Did you? An eight and a five. Eight I think. and a five. So Thirteen. Thirteen, and I gave it a seven and a five. Twelve. So twenty-five. That's fine then. I'm okay. just checking it relative to the others. Well, I didn't. I'm always worried about your demand for internal consistency. <laughs> uh, but uh, but yeah, as you say, it took us on a good adventure. I mean, I think we both found Scunthorpe challenging. I'm not. This, yeah, most cases like uh, when we've been to we went to Whitby uh, with uh, Dracula. We went out to Lincolnshire with the woman in black, and we've been to Manchester. Yeah, and all of those places, I thought, oh, I'd definitely come. I'd come back here and have a good old. Well, I'm thinking about a listener. I'm thinking about with Scunthorpe. I'm not thinking I would. I'm thinking about a listener out in uh, the middle of Idaho, 
listening to this podcast right. and going, oh, I'll come visit some of these places in, in England. Yeah. I don't think I'd be advising them to go to Scunthorpe. Well, it, it's a different kind of tourism. Yeah, <laughs> it is. And another side of Britain. It is definitely another side of Britain. So but I think... Yeah, going to see these places is, is is quite salutary. It's a sort of, you know, if you live in your little metropolitan elite bubble like we do in South London, to yeah. go out to these places and... Oh, it's and educational. Talk, and Definitely talk, talk educational. to some of the people there and understand the history of what's gone on there. Yeah. Well, I feel a bit, I don't know, ashamed. Yeah. No, I completely get that. I completely get that. Bit of a downbeat note to end on. But uh, <laughs> well, it doesn't have a it doesn't have an upbeat ending. Have an upbeat this ending. book, I'm not going to say what happens, but no, I'm no. Not, it's not upbeat, is it's it? Not upbeat. So that was Get Carter, aka Jack's Return Home, by Ted Lewis. Uh, we'd like to do some thank yous at this stage, as of usual. The podcast. Uh, I'd like to thank uh, Paul Rose for the uh, great version of the Get Carter movie theme. Very uh, good. In, in throughout the, the piece. Um, I found it on YouTube. Uh, his YouTuber's account is at uh, the brilliantly named Strat Fanatic. Oh. Uh, that's his username on, uh, as in a Stratocaster. I didn't notice the Stratocaster sound. Yeah, no, he's a he's a, he's a very uh, he's a he's a guitarist. He's a quite quite a highly regarded guitarist. You can also find him on Facebook at at uh, Paul. Just yeah, search for Paul Rose. Uh, his page is on Facebook. Uh, he's currently I, he was I was in contact with him uh, through Facebook Messenger. He's currently rebuilding his website. So yeah, check him out. On Aren't YouTube. we all? Lots of good stuff there. Um, yes, and we have to say thank you again to Learning Music. Yeah. Uh, from the Free Music Archive for our theme tune, Basie Loop. Very good. Um, yes, and also we have another musician we need to thank. Yeah, we want to thank the uh, the very uh, lovely young man that we met serving in the bar in Scunthorpe. Yes, well, he. I, I said to you that he follows us on Instagram yeah. after our conversation under the username uh, Keys B One or Caius C A I U S B One. Right, and he's hello got a there. Band. He's the lead singer in a metal band. He is called Orphan, but spelled O R P H V N. How do you oh, pronounce that? That's challenging pronunciation. Orphan. Yeah. Orphan. Check him or out. Orphan. If he's if he's if he's still paying any attention to two old duffers who showed up at his bar. Well, I was going to say that he's using Keys B One. I said, Oh, well, I went to Keys College. Did you go to Keys College? <laughs> oh, 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 Keys, lovely. But I don't think that's what he's thinking of. No, I don't think so. No. Thinking of. No. Uh, anyway, thank you for the conversation and the information about Scunthorpe, which we uh, and we at this stage we'd like to remind you as ever that we are on Patreon uh, for um, uh, ad-free versions of the podcast as soon as they're available and a bunch of other stuff. Yes, well, there's show notes um, with all the links that were to the research materials that we we use, which is getting longer and longer and longer. It it feels like, and then. And we also put maps up. Unfortunately, I'm doing this episode, so you're gonna the map quality drop somewhat drops off when I I'm, up my on, game for on my podcast. I up my game. Tim did a Kes map, which is I'm, I might get framed. Um, <laughs> you could have also, the original. You could win the original. Win the original. <laughs> uh, and uh, we'd also, if you don't subscribe to the Patreon, please, you know, we'd love you to review and rate us on whatever platform you're on. Yes, and Stig, our marketing director. Uh, would like to point you to our Twitter feed. Curiously Spec. Curiously Spec. Our Instagram page. Curiously Specific Book Club. And our Facebook page. Curiously Specific Book Club. Yeah, so, so uh, you can join us on all of those. Say hello. And uh, share our links to our podcast with your mates, please. Yeah. 
uh, so that we the can the merrier, spread so we can the love. On doing this as long as possible. Yeah, uh, so we can go to lovely places like Scunthorpe. Yes, well, and other places. That was that, that was the end of a trilogy of northern titles, wasn't it? We've done Manchester. Yep. We've done Barnsley and Hoyland, and we've done Scunthorpe. Yeah. I think next time we're back in London. Yes, but just to make it a bit gritty, uh, we're going to base it uh, on. Uh, we're going to base it on the Blitz. There are bombs falling on our yeah, heads. Yeah, so it's not like eighties um, London or something like that, where yeah. we're hanging out with George Michael or something. Yeah, we've got three books. A man oh, can dream. We've got three books set in the Blitz, in and around the Second World War, and around London, all by women actually, which is which is good. Yeah. Um, so uh, see us here again. Yes, uh, it's, it's like a, a a severe handbrake turn. It is a severe handbrake turn. Very, very good. <laughs> from uh, from Get Carter to uh, Blitz novels written by women, yeah, very, contemporary very women. We kind of we kind of got a little bit um, tired of seventies uh, style misogyny, so we thought we'd <laughs> we'd clear the palette with some books written by actual women. Yes, <laughs> hopefully they write quite a lot about toxic masculinity. Yeah, and well, hopefully we've got some women hitting men for a change. Way. So see you there, uh, and uh, thanks for listening. <laughs>